Welcome to This Is Life. Okay, so I'm not going to make the same mistake I made last time. Uh, I'm going to make this introduction very, very, very short. Uh, head on over to thisislifepod.com if you want to catch up to the latest podcast episodes. Uh, hit me up on Twitter or email thisislifepod at gmail.com or on Twitter, thisislifepod. Uh, leave a review on iTunes. That would be really helpful. Uh, so now that all that's out of the way, uh, again, we really appreciate all you guys listening. Thank you so much. It really, really means a lot to me that you guys are taking the time out of your day just to hear these stories. And today we are going to continue on with my discussion with Jessica. We She, she came in. We were able to... To finish out the rest of the story, so the entire second half. So for the next two weeks, guys, uh, just you know, just where you're listening in your car or your house or maybe doing some work outside, whatever you're doing, just you know, I pray that this uh, that, that that this story will just inspire you. It will, yes, it's heartbreaking, but it is also heartwarming. I mean, the, the, it's hearing the story of Aria. One of the things I love about this is that we're able to put Aria's story on permanent record, so that all who has an opportunity to hear can just hear how wonderful and how much of a jewel that she was and still is, still is to all of us who love and knew her. And hopefully through these podcast episodes, uh, you can feel like you knew a little bit about her as well. So here is the beginning of the second half uh, with Jessica talking about her wonderful, beautiful daughter, Aria. I kind of want to just pick up, if okay, Jess, where we left off. We last thing we, we had talked about, again, was the cancer had, start, had, had come back. Yep. A new plan was set in motion, and... She did the first, if I remember, you said the first, she had done two treatments, and then you guys went on your trip, is just that right? Just one. So just one treatment. One treatment. How long between the first treatment and the trip was there? Uh, well, we had to wait for her counts to come back up before we went on the trip, so probably two or three weeks, two or three weeks. Was there a part of you that was worried that she wasn't going to be able to go on the trip? Yes. Even, even, even towards the end. Like, what would have, what would have stopped the trip from happening? <laughs> well, it would have taken a lot because they really accommodate and they try to make it so that even kids who are having issues can still, can still go. Um, it would have been like incredibly Just, low right. counts, not recovering or, something or sick. Right. Like if she got sick. But fortunately, okay. she that's didn't. one thing I didn't actually ask because I've been to Disney World. I've been to you know because of course one of the things you guys went to is the Disney World and um, and of course the the the, uh, the oh, it, I can't believe I, I guess it's worth mentioning the name of the place that you guys are, the kids that own the world or kids <laughs> give kids the give world. kids thank you. that works give kids the world <laughs> give kids the world uh, which I've seen pictures of and even after you and I recorded I went online just to see pictures and videos and went to the website and I encourage everyone listening to do the same I mean and it's even if amazing. right even if you have a few extra bucks go and donate to them because they truly seem to be just minded for the children like the yes. children are their priority and families are cool but like the kids that's who we want to really make sure and you know gain something from this experience because for some of those kids you know that might be literally the only happiness you know yeah. you know because as much as Arya does struggle you know the fact that she did have that grit that determination that she was not going to let anything ruin that you know a lot of kids may not even have that or more than likely they may not have the same support system that Arya had you know, right. as well. So that very well could be one of the only times. So I guess my question is, is like, okay, so, so, so 
it would have had to been something just terribly, just drastic in order mm-hmm. for for the cancel trip. Okay, so my question with this is that while you were there, and especially when you were at Disney World, I know like my my daughter, she like, just as uh, an example, my daughter touches everything. <laughs> she you know, even, even when she was younger, she would like literally. You know, like most kids, you know, put her mouth on everything. You know, we have to be constantly telling her, you know. And I remember one of our last trips to Disney World, my, you know, we're waiting for a bus. And my, my next, I look down and my kid is like having her mouth on the railing uh, that millions of people in my mind have touched on the way to get onto the bus. And I'm like, no. And of course, what have anything happened? She ended up getting sick and we ended up spending right. a day of our vacation in the hotel room all day. How did you prevent that something like that. I mean, obviously, I don't think I don't see Ari, you know, sucking on a you know a, a no. rail like my kid did. But I mean, my point is that that had to be going through your mind, like you're around all of these people in right. crowded places, and you want to give your child every single opportunity to enjoy this experience. But at the same time, there had to been a part of you being like, you know, stay away from my kid. Don't touch. <laughs> don't do anything. I don't, I don't want anything to ruin this. Right. Well, fortunately, Aria was very. I think somewhat mindful of her own health I mean she wasn't ever the kid who put everything in her mouth maybe as a baby but older she she was very mindful of her of things herself, but hand sanitizer. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. Our best, best friend, friend. Right. Is hand sanitizer. It went everywhere with us, and we took our own wagon. So oh, from from Give Kids of the World, we got a wagon from them, and so we took that. And she pretty much stayed in the wagon most of the time. I mean, there was only a few rides that she actually even went on. Because, right. like I said, she was more interested in swimming. Right. <laughs> she wanted swimming, to go back, back to the to pool. The, right. <laughs> swimming, that, that was the number one. And that's also the safe place, too. You know, it's like I love the fact. I think that's one of the things that gets me is, like, you know, for most kids, Disney World is the happiest place on earth. But for her to be like, nah, Disney World's cool, but let's go back to the pool. Let's go mm-hmm. back to that place. Again, just shows just the the the, the, the power and then just the, the, the you know, the... the that is how wonderful that really place right. really is. She didn't really care much for the rides. She she did enjoy meeting the characters though. That, that who was, was her special. favorite just for fun. Who was her favorite character? She got oh, to meet? Minnie Mouse. Yeah, Minnie Mouse. Minnie do, you, Mouse. do you still have that picture like I, close by? Yes, I love that picture. Yeah. She just gave her the biggest hug, and that's what we went for. So it really teared me up when wow. she got to meet. You her. know, I, just as a personal story, I want to share with that. Speaking of characters, that my favorite, or my, my you know, my favorite, my daughter's favorite princess uh even to this time but she's kind of grown out a little bit but especially when Arya went was elena of avalar right and just i'm not gonna bore everybody with my story but we had previously gone to disneyland and we should try tempted to find elena of avalar like that was our day mission like i was actually knocking on customer services door where is elena because i'm wanting my daughter to meet her and we just weren't ever able to do it like she would show up on the app and then all of a sudden i go to where it was and disappeared whatever nothing happened well <laughs> they uh, well when aria was at disney world and they they gave her the royal treatment at the bibbidi bobbidi boutique which for those who don't know it's kind of like a a makeover for little girls where they can go and pick out a dress. They can have, you know, somebody do their makeup and their nails and, and, they, and they had, and, and since Ari didn't have a hair, they were able to give her hair, you know, and a crown and just really make a big, big deal of, of her. And I never actually talked talk to you about that. When I, the land of Avalor is, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but tell me about that experience of the Bibbidi Bobby boutique. Cause I can imagine, you know, I mean, she Aria was, she was an outdoor kid, and she was a kid that like really 
you know, she, you know, loved, you know, getting her, you know, getting in the mud and everything. But she also had, you know, a girly side to her. She loves unicorns and yes. sparkles and all these different things. Like your typical girl. And I think that was one of the great things about it. So did, did she love that experience? Like, oh, my goodness, yes. She loved it so much. She had a smile on her face through the whole entire thing. Like, she, they took her in and... They, you know, sat her in the chair and gave her sparkles and did nice. her makeup. And she just smiled through the whole time. And, of course, I'm, like, tearing up through the whole thing. Yeah. Especially because I didn't know – we had never been before. So I didn't know how they would do with the hair portion because she didn't have any hair. And she had recently just lost all of her hair wow. for the second time. Right. So, I mean, that was pretty traumatic for her. And <laughs> we we went in and they, they were like – we get to give you so a wig and she was like oh and so she had a wig and she they put it on her and she was so pretty put sparkles in the tr on her and she just smiled and she was so excited and i was she got to pick emotional. her favorite princess which was moana, moana. Mm-hmm. Right. so they gave her like a black wig and she'd never had black hair because right. you know she was naturally a blonde <laughs> and so it was pretty exciting for her and I think she absolutely loved it. Loved it. Wow. Why do you think Moana was her favorite princess? Um, you don't know. Did she ever tell probably because of the water. Yeah, it's true. That makes I mean, perfect sense, though. You're absolutely right. The girl was all Just about the water. Drawn to the water. That's exactly. Yep. No, I, that's a good enough answer. That's absolutely true. So after they, so the reason why I brought up Elena earlier is because after. They do the makeover and the pig they do, they go and they take them to this little studio and they do pictures and then they take you to the Royal Hall or whatever where there's three or four princesses Mm -hmm. that are waiting for you to do a photo op with you You and get to go and meet them and talk to them and that kind of deal. Well, of course, I, I told Jessica, I'm like, if you go, I'm not saying... You know, you guys send us, you know, Iceland something, but at least a picture of, of Elena would be wonderful, so I can show, so I can show Iceland. Well, I remember I was grocery shopping, <laughs> and with Iceland at the time, and all of a sudden I got a text message, and I, I saw I had to say I had to preview of what it was, and it was a it was a video of Elena, and Aria, just just saying hi to, to Iceland, and just you know we love you, you know we miss you could be here or whatever kind of thing, and I remember Iceland literally took my phone from my hand, which is not uncommon, but I mean at this point, and she would not let she just kept playing it over and over, and I was like <laughs> I gotta let her, I gotta for the next, I drove back half an hour home, and I just let her play the video over and over and over because it meant so much that not only was Elena, but even more importantly, her very best friend got to meet her favorite princess. And mm-hmm. so I never got to really truly thank you for that because it really meant a lot. And it was probably really cool for uh, Ari to be able to share that with her best mm-hmm. friend as well. Uh, in fact, when we actually got to go and meet Moana, you right. know, when I had a Christmas party, when we got to go to Disney World later on, we had, <laughs> I was like, Rachel, this is one thing we got to do. We got to go and have, uh, <laughs> send a video, uh, send to, a video Ari. to Aria for the, from, from Moana. Okay, yeah, so oh man, yeah, it was it was just really just a really great, wonderful you know bond that our daughters have, and I'm sure we can talk more about that in here later on. <laughs> um, okay, so you get home from the trip, and okay, and we're as, back at yeah, it. Exactly, it's like one of the things. Like okay, now that was kind of a halftime performance, right? Like you have the Super Bowl, you got the first quarter, the second quarter, and <laughs> yeah, you got halftime. Now here we go. You know, and now that we've got the quote unquote entertainment out of the way, it's time for the second half of the game to begin, quote unquote. Right. 
so um, I guess let's kind of just dive in deep because this is unfortunately where we do start to take a tougher turn. I mean, maybe not right away, no, not right but away. at the same time, you know now that the doctors have told you, yes, we're, we're going to have a, um, there, we, there's still hope. There's still a plan. There's still, you know, a good opportunity in front of us to beat this. However, uh, you have to understand that the, the chances of survival aren't as good. And right. if I remember correctly, you said last time it went from a 90% to, to a 50%. So you're talking about a 40% chance less than the previous time. So, I mean, it, it's still enough, obviously, to fight. Still, you're not just going to let right. it just go fallow. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, reality starting to come into play. Like, now all of a sudden, you know, this monster is growing even bigger in our minds. And right. so how do you fight even harder? And that's the thing is like the first time you guys fought so hard, how do you muster that up? How do you, I mean, as I understand that you just do it, but I mean, at the same time, did you, did, did, did was there anything that you needed to do set differently the second go around that you didn't do the first time? Or was it experience the first time that helped you dig in deeper the second time? Or was it just truly a matter of get up every single day and go to work? Yep, it was just do what you got to do. And it was much tougher the second time around because, like I said, the first time it was mostly outpatient chemo where she'd go in, she'd do her chemo, and we'd go home. And this time it was hospital stays. All right, so let's talk about that. So describe outpatient chemo first for us so that we're like kind of paint that picture what that looks like to somebody who's she would go into the office they would access her port that means they stick the big old push pin needle right. into her um and then they would Did they numb it up at all or we talked about that no no, they just no she had wow. no numbing because she didn't because she was allergic right? she was allergic or she didn't like it one of the right. two but um she got got um accessed that's what it what you say when they put the when they put the port needle in and uh then we just hang out in their little kid room while she gets her chemo like she's sitting during this time or yeah like, well like she's just IV hooked or? up like an IV, and yeah. she's got a pole and she's playing with toys and we're hanging out in the room and how long does it how long is each session oh gosh um we were usually there for several hours wow like some some Can chemos would take though, I mean, shorter time four or five years old I can't even get my kid to say to sit down to watch a cartoon for that long. <laughs> I mean, going to even I mean, you know, going to getting you know medicine pushed into you with an IV and you're you tethered to this pole. I mean, no amount of toys or activities can really make that. She didn't sit down. Are no, you kidding me? No. no, no. She had a pole, and that pole has wheels, right. and we were all over, all over the place. place. That's good. Yeah, you know, she'd run around. We'd. I'd try to, you know, play games with her. We'd play with toys. We'd you probably get very, very, draw. very creative in the how to entertain a child in yes. those secluded areas. It's though. kind of a good thing that I'm a teacher and I'm right. pretty good at <laughs> pretty good at entertaining children anyway. Well, and the thing is though about that is that I guess you're right because I mean I uh, like like if I have to just you know freely admit that there are certain times like if my daughter grabs a hold of a game or a song that she really liked or something. You know, kids love repetition. Mm -hmm. They love to do the same things over and over again. And usually by the fourth, fifth, sixth time, I'm like, okay. Yeah. You know. 
But at the same time, so I, I can imagine that's probably a similar circumstance to this. Right. Is that there's certain things that she really loved to do that really helped her. Mm-hmm. And, you you know, I don't know if your natural inclination would be like, okay, we'll do it again. But you're, at the same time, you're like, well, if this is, is if this is what it takes, then I guess we're going to do it. Right. Yeah. Especially during the hospital stays, there was a lot of games we played over and over again. She mm-hmm. had her favorites. That's for sure. Okay. So how does the hospital then stay? How, I can never really ask you this. How does the hospital stay differ from just the outpatient i mean i guess because you can't just go there for a couple hours and leave no what's the how many how many nights did you stay the whole week a whole week a whole week so you're talking about a whole week of every month you were at the hospital every three weeks every three weeks because we'd go in for a week then she'd have a week with her counts going down and then a week with her counts going up and then we'd be back in the hospital again so every three weeks okay that's yeah that's tough so that definitely had to take to get some getting used to i mean nobody likes going to the hospital just for a couple (laughs) hours let alone no. Of a full week. And I mean, you probably, and if I remember correctly, you had like, you basically had a hospital bag that you would just take that it was packed and it was ready our to go. second home. I mean, yeah. it was no different than probably, you know, like you guys going camping. We right. prepared, we had a wagon, we'd pack up the wagon with clothes and toys and toiletries and everything. Okay. So the hospital probably feeds her because she's considered a patient. Yes. But not you guys. No. So. I mean, you can't. You obviously don't have a, a stove and a kitchen and and a, mm-hmm. uh, and all that. I mean, so not only are you having to pay for her treatment and care, but you're also having to eat out and, and yep. it's probably a struggle to eat even healthy because you have to eat all the time, right? Um, no, because we... you get also you know have food that'll be strength. Of course, you know maybe somebody can bring you food, but I yeah. mean. Yeah, that's probably what you end up doing. That's you know? what happened a lot of times. And they did give us a fridge. So I would pack stuff to take with me for, like, breakfasts and snacks and stuff like that. And usually my mom would come up or CJ would come up. Right. And we would have dinner. Like, that's my cool. mom would bring me dinner or CJ would bring me dinner. And we would eat. Mm. How Now, during that week's stay, was it she continually on an IV? Or was it She's like... She's continually hooked up to it but okay. she's not continually getting chemo getting me, right the chemo would happen like once a day so once a day for seven days straight for five, five days, straight. days we would no four, four days we would check in and they'd have to prehydrate her before they could give her any chemo because the chemo that they would give her would destroy her bladder so she had to like get tons of IV fluid before they could even give her the chemo. They had to test her urine every Mm. single time she went to the bathroom, make sure she didn't have any trace blood or anything like that in it. If there was anything above like the tiniest bit of trace blood in her urine, then they couldn't give it to her. They'd have to push more fluids. Did that ever happen? Yes. Wow. Yeah. And so after they do the prehydrate, then she would get chemo once a day for gosh either four or five days and no we were there for a whole seven days because me and chris would split it so one of us would take the first part of the week and one of us would take the second usually him because he'd take the first part because she didn't adjust well to me leaving her right so if he took her 
she adjusted better to mom showing up than to mom having to leave. So he would take her for the first part of the week and then I would take her. So she would get her chemo and then they'd have to test everything at the end of the chemo, make sure she was good before they would release us. Okay. So I I guess I have another question for you then. Did she, we're going back to the food question. Like, cause obviously you guys did not, you as the parents and friends and whoever were staying with Ari at the time, didn't get to eat hospital food, which is not necessarily a bad thing. However, did she actually eat the food? I mean, did she, how was her appetite during this whole, this whole ordeal? Mm, not very good. She preferred candy and other things that were much more delicious to children. She ate some things, her favorite things, but hospital food really wasn't her thing. Right. She was not about that. Was it? Was there ever a time where the doctors had to be like, "Hey, you know, you really need to." She really needs to eat better or eat more or any of that, or they just they're just happy just to have her eat something. I know sometimes I would get there, you know, midweek, and she would eat something with me, and they'd be like, "Oh, thank goodness," because she refused to eat anything with her dad. Wow. Like she would just go several days with eating nothing or barely anything. And did, did her appetite was it different when she was? Sick and going through chemotherapy, or was she kind of always not really much of a an eater? I mean, because she was obviously pretty little, and you, I'm not saying you guys never let her starve, because you just have to creatively find ways to get her appetite to go. Right. But was that something that she kind of always had, or was that just a symptom of the treatments and her sickness? Um, I think it was more just stubborn aria. Yeah. Because gotcha. <laughs> I mean. It just depended on her mood. Sometimes she'd eat great, other times not so much. If it was something she loved, she'd eat it. If she didn't, what was her favorite food of all pick. time? Like she could have it all day, every day, no question. Oh gosh, or was there anything like that? I don't know what her favorite food was like of all time ever. I know. Towards the end, she really liked ramen noodles. Wow, <laughs> that was her favorite thing. But I don't, I don't know. Do you think that's because maybe there's there's easy to go down? That it wasn't a lot of work to eating them, maybe, or just she just really liked the taste, or just. I think maybe her taste buds were different. Yeah, and, you know, it was. You like know, I've a, heard that before. I think I think that chemotherapy does a lot of weird things to your body, and I guess that kind of a good segue into that. What were some of the side effects that? Especially this second round, when you're going to the hospital for every three weeks, I mean that's a lot of of medicine being put into, into a small body, you know. Or and, and I guess poison. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean it's killing her right. cells in hopes that it will kill the cancer cells as well. And so you're struggling to make sure to keep her white blood cell count up and to keep her immune system strong, all of these things. And so. You wanted, like, some symptoms of what was going on? Uh, Well, besides her being tired, she'd throw up. And throwing up was, like, no big thing to her. She was so used to it, she'd just go into the bathroom and puke and then come out and say, Mom, I threw up. Wow. And I was like, oh, okay. I mean, like, no big deal. Not a big thing. Wow. She'd just walk into the bathroom, bend over the toilet, vomit, come back out and be like, I threw up. Was it at first a little bit alarming, like, when she would just go throw up? Or was it just kind of... This is something they told you, hey, this is one of the symptoms that she's going to probably vomit a lot. We knew she would she would throw up, but it just, it was very strange how 
easily she took it. And it wasn't like when your kid is sick in the middle of the night and they get up and they puke all over your house. It wasn't like that. It was like she felt it coming on. She went to the bathroom. She puked. I remember one time we were sitting at uh, Taco Bell as a whole family. We were sitting at the in the booth, and she just was like, Mommy, I'm going to throw up. And so we, like, gave her, like, a container from food right. or something and just held it in front of her. And she puked, and we wrapped it up and threw it away right. and went on about our way eating. And nobody probably was none the wiser. Nobody even knew. Wow. Like, she just puked right there at the table, and wow. we just kept on eating. That's why. I got you. Okay, so... What are what are some other symptoms like just some side effects that of the the chemotherapy that she had to deal with? Bruising all over her body. Right, we're talking about, I remember talking about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I have pictures of her with just weird random bruises all over the place. Um I don't know. I would say she took chemo pretty well considering um swelling. Like she because they had to put so many fluids in her that mm. she would swell up. She looked puffy like in her face. But and she was a pretty trooper. easy to tell too because when she because she was a little that any amount of swelling you know mm-hmm. would look abnormal uh, so I, yeah I can definitely see that gotcha all right so you're going to the hospital once a week or I'm sorry once a month really every three weeks I mean you you get to really know the people there yeah I mean it's it's like you said it's kind of like your second home right kind of talk to me about her relationship with the doctors the nurses the the people especially in the second <laughs> go round because now these people are become less uh, strangers less right. people I see on an occasional basis and now they're really I mean, for all intents and purposes, are becoming your family. Yes. I mean, anytime you're going to visit people one full week out of a month, they kind of cross over, even if they're in a professional capacity, from being just somebody you occasionally see to now somebody who is a part of your life. Right. You know, kind of talk to me about some, maybe even you know, maybe some names of, uh, first names of, of nurses that really impacted you or doctors or just some experiences that helped Aria get through this experience as well. Well, <laughs> that girl, she made an impact on everybody at that hospital, I'm pretty sure, because she was just an ornery little thing. So ornery. Um, she definitely loved Francine. That's the child life specialist. Her and Ben kind of tag teamed. Um, but Francine was really, you know, her girl. They played games together, and she was... Oh, God, she was my savior because she kept that girl busy with games and toys and art projects and crafts. And wow. I, I can't ever thank her for everything that she did for Aria and entertaining her. Um, she absolutely loved Jenny. She loved Jenny. Um, she's, a, I believe, a social worker that worked there. Mm-hmm. Um, but she loved her. She played with us, too. Aria just loved her to pieces. Uh, there were a lot of nurses, a lot of nurses that she really loved. But I think there were two that, like, really stand out. And one of them was Tammy. And I love Tammy. Tammy actually gave her her very first baby reborn, which she named Liam. And right. her and Tammy were incredibly close to I each other. I remember that Aria, just not to get too sidetracked, but... Babies, that was her thing. Oh, babies were absolutely her thing. Like, she loved just babies. caretaking. And, like, I mean, you, you probably, after she passed, had to go through 
babies upon babies upon babies. Oh, I have tons of babies. A lot of them I took to work because I couldn't bear getting rid of them. And then her favorite ones I still have at the house because I can't. You just can't part. I can't part. They're part of your memory with her. That makes complete sense. But her, her and Tammy were, they were like two peas in a pod. She loved Tammy, and Tammy loved her, and she even said, you know, that she was her favorite nurse. Um, so her and Tammy, they had a special bond. And then the other one was Garrett and God, she loved Garrett so much. She really loved him and she tortured him. Mm. She would squirt him every chance she possibly could get with, uh, with the, um, the flushes oh, right. from her IV line. <laughs> she, they would give her flushes and she would sneak attack him. And then Dr. Othman, her oncologist, gave her a big squirt gun one time. And that girl chased him down the hall oh, so and good. sprayed him. He was soaked head to toe. She loved him so much. And there are countless others. I mean, I probably couldn't even name all of them. Megan and Candace and... Emily, oh, she loved Emily. They're they're just there's so many good about approximately people. how many? I mean, you're naming off a lot of names. I mean, approximately how many people in a professional capacity do you think you came across that were their their objective and goal when they're around you at Aria was to help her get better? Oh yeah. my gosh, I don't even know if I could put a number on that because there's a ton of nurses. And they're not always the same nurses. You don't like, right. they work different schedules. So we would have one nurse one night and a different nurse the next night. Um, plus they have the hospitalists that come in. Um, they're like the doctors of right. the hospital and they come in and each day they check on her. And then social workers and like just tons of people, Was volunteers. Was she able to sleep very well there at the hospital? She slept with me. Yeah, you sleep just like sleep in the in the, the I hospital slept bed in the hospital bed with her. Wow, how did you get any sleep? No, I <laughs> no, I got used to it, but it is not comfortable. I mean, anybody who's ever stayed in the hospital knows no. it's not. They're but not. Those beds aren't made for. They're not like you're going to the Hyatt. No, nope. Yeah. So, I mean. But me and her, we did it together. She always wanted me to sleep with her so i would sleep in bed with her wow well, naturally was there anything that you would bring from home that would kind of just make the hospital because hospital rooms are notoriously bland and you know just business only you know mm-hmm. there's not much decoration to go involved i mean what would you kind of bring from home to kind of create a little bit more of a of a warm atmosphere uh, we would bring one of her blankets because she had, you know, fuzzy, nice blankets that she would always want to take with her. I would usually take my pillow because my pillow is right. better. Right, yes. <laughs> um, and then she would just, gosh, we'd bring food. We'd bring toys, lots and lots of toys. Right. I mean, we had a whole wagon. I know full. she used to, like, make slime a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd, we'd, I, if we went, a lot of times we'd go visit you. That was our job was to sit there and... And while we're talking and visiting, you know, to, to compound play and slime. play with the slime and <laughs> yeah. getting it to firm up and that kind of deal, you know. Yeah, <laughs> we did do that a few times. <laughs> so, that was really good. It was, it's interesting, you go back to you talking about the, the nurses and doctors and caretakers and social workers and all the people that worked with you. It has to be a really bittersweet job. 
Because you, I think you have to be number one, you know, called to do it from a higher purpose and higher calling. I mean, almost. Because I mean, when you're talking about witnessing and being involved in the caretaking of children, especially who are going through life-threatening diseases, right. uh, and again, like we talked about, it's not it's not like you saw, not like you see in the always like you see in the St. Jude's pamphlets with smiling bald children. I mean, right. there are some hardcore truths and experiences and pain and suffering that goes along with the, you know, joys and things like that that we've been talking about. So, and they get to see that every day with multiple children. And then on top of that, they have to be there as a source of strength and comfort for the families that are having to deal with it as well. Um, I mean, I think that's a probably a part of your gratitude that people would be willing to. Yes, I mean they're getting paid for it. Yes, it's a part of the career. Yes, they chose it, but thank God that they did choose it. Well, I think, and that's what made the difference between the nurses and staff that we loved and the nurses and staff we really could care. Yeah, I guess we didn't really think about not about really those. have. Were there some that just probably shouldn't be should be doing something else? Yes, <laughs> yes, there were some. Not very many, but there were a few people through the times, you know, of staying there that I was like, you know, you work with children, you should be a little more considerate to everybody, you know, around here or just not be so not nice. Aria, because she obviously had no problem telling you what was in her brain. (laughs) Was there ever a time that she had to be like that she would? You know, we're inside where she says or did something to a not so nice caretaker that you're like, uh, you know, no, no, she was always very polite. It was funny because a lot of people mispronounced her name, you know, because I had spelled it weird. Right. And so the nurses that didn't know her her would come in and they'd call her area or Araya or lots of different things. And (laughs) she would always be like, mommy. They didn't call me by my right name. <laughs> she'd be like, she called me Araya. <laughs> yeah, she'd just giggle and be so silly. And But she she never corrected them. Wow. She, Despite the fact that she was about the most assertive child ever, right. she would always just turn and laugh and be like, oh, geez. Like she was so used to it. Yeah, here we go again. <laughs> Okay, so let's kind of talk about then your home life during this time because I mean, obviously, if she is, uh, if you're going, if you're having to go to the hospital every three weeks, splitting up time between you and Chris, who your ex husband, her father, to spend time with her to take care of her, all of those kind of deals, you still have a life to live. I mean, you still have a job that you have to go to. You still have other children that you're taking care of, children that are in school. Uh, I mean, life just doesn't just stop. You know, you're still trying to make a home. I think I remember you and CJ are also trying to buy a house in all of this craziness as well. Or had you already bought the house? I don't um, remember exactly. We bought the house in 2016. Okay. So, so it was before was the second time. in 2015. Right. I think it was during her good time that we bought the right. house. Um, but but we still, were planning a wedding right, during the second time around. Exactly right. Uh, so, all right. So let me, you know, how, how do you, how did you balance all of that? Are you just kind of a blur even? It I mean, is. Like sometimes, some of the questions you ask me, I have to really think about because I'm like, everything that happened, it just went by. And, you know, a lot of it, I think I just pushed out of my brain. Yeah. Um, 
so I, I, I don't, I don't know. We just, we just did it. I mean, it worked out that I had a wonderful boss at the time who allowed me to take off. Chris had FMLA, so he was able to take off. We split the week, mm-hmm. so we'd both have to take off only a couple days as opposed to taking off, you know, a whole week right. each time. Um, you know, we we did what we had to do. We split time the best that we could. Gotcha. I mean, all right. So now that we're kind of here, we're going we're going every three weeks to, to chemotherapy. Obviously. The, the ship is starting to turn south. You know, we're starting to, you know, eventually there was the, I guess I'm kind of talking about that. Like, did you start to see deeper complications eventually? Like where the chemotherapy wasn't working as well as I had the first time, or was there ever a, no. a conversation you had with a doctor? I mean, no. was there any kind of <laughs> warning that danger is ahead? No, this is, this is the part that's just absolutely crazy. So we're going through chemo. We're going regularly. She's missing a whole year of school, like her whole entire first year, first grade of school. She's having to be homeschooled. CJ stayed. um, He worked nights, so he got to stay with her during the day, which really helped out. Um, And we were just trucking along. And there was at one point during chemo because we were like how long is this going for like we i do remember that we misunderstood i think when she explained to us how long this cycle was going to go for we thought it was supposed to end after like a year and we just kept going and we're like when is this ever going to be done and she's like it's it was like a 72 week cycle or something like that so we're like oh my gosh three years it like or, or 72 weeks that's 52 is a year and so yeah about a year and a half a year like take. a year and a half right. um but then you have to you have all these breaks in there like when we got married we took a little break you know we would take like a week or whatever right. we would Life try to, to happen, right we tried to out. fit things in and do things and reschedule chemos for times where we could you know not far off from the original dates, but like we might have to push it a day or two right. here and there um, based on like holidays and things like that. Because we tried our hardest not to spend holidays in the hospital, but it never failed. We always ended up somehow managing to be there around a holiday or on the holiday. Right. Um, and so, I mean, it was. Now, a lot of them did remember that. You had, they had to basically bring the holidays to you. Yeah. Like, the I mean, Thanksgiving and. We had a, an yeah. Easter there where we had an Easter egg hunt in the yeah. room. We had a New Year's Eve there where we watched the fireworks from the window outside yeah. of the hospital room. I mean, just everything. It did almost feel like even though you were only there one week out of the month, you probably only remember most of the time being at the hospital. Yeah. I mean, like you look back at that year and a half. Well, and it wasn't just chemo. I mean, if she got sick, if anything happened, we were back at the hospital. So there were lots of little stays every time, you know, in between our week long stays. So I guess I may ask you this on average 30 day month, how many days of that month do you think you were at the hospital for like the last year of her life? Average? Average. Probably seven, but I mean, it could range to 10 to to 15. Seven to ten, maybe, no. maybe so at least a third, if not more, or what have you. I mean, I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is just like, like for example, like I've never stayed even a night in hospital. You know, I visited the ER a couple of times, that kind of deal. <clears throat> but for most people, the hospital is something that just 
It's a big deal. Like, it's not, it's not, you know, like if you, let's say if you hear that somebody you love is quote in the hospital, you generally drop what you're doing, call off work, say, I'm going to go and do this, that for you. However, it just became "Eh, going to go to the hospital. Yep. And that's just so hard for most people. I think to wrap their mind around that, that just literally became, became your life. Yep. We would just check into our second home. Wow. Okay. So, you said that they really. So you, so you asked the doctor, you know, how long is this going oh, to yes. take? Sorry, that's okay. That's fine. So yeah, how long is it going to take? Because it seems like we're doing this, and nothing is changing. Well, did they give you like updates? Did they do scans? Did they do? Yes, we did regular CT scans to check to make sure that you know there was nothing strange happening, and they were clear. Like we were really doing well. We were just trucking along, and we're like, okay. And there was at one point, I would say maybe a month before we found out that you know there was no there was no recovery from this mm-hmm. um the oncologist made a comment to me about how um hopefully aria will get to go to school the next year wow. like she she so even they were like this is we're doing good right. everything, everything seems working everything's clear everything's going well it's all good it's all wonderful you know we're just trucking along like it's we're doing this we're kicking cancers but we're gonna beat it all is well in the world we had no indication whatsoever that anything was wrong all right so i want you to take me back then to let's let's start with let's say like the last six months of of her life so we're gonna go back to january of 2018 okay Mm -hmm. so that, that's probably the New Year's Eve that you spent from 18 to 19. I'm sorry, 17 to 18 was probably in the hospital. Or I don't remember. remember. It was one okay. of them. Gotcha. <laughs> I really I, can't. I, I understand. But I do remember that it was so you're talking January, February, March, because you guys got married in March. Right, we got married in March. Well, even you guys got married, because I mean, that, that, was, that was obviously a huge deal. And because you guys, we, you know, uh, we're going to travel to Colorado, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and I got to officiate your guys' wedding and, you know, at the, uh, the, the, the uh, you know, Western Kansas out there. It was really, really cold that day and it was really blustery, windy. Right. But, you know, it was really a lot of fun, you know, because, the, you know, our, my daughter and your daughter, they got to dress up in the little dresses, you know, and have little hats and, and we did the ceremony out there and, I mean, it was just, it was really, and she, she she was running around and she was acting like a normal kid. I mean, obviously, you know, still yeah. suffering. Uh, and I remember you had a terrible cold. I felt you, miserable. Yeah, you were miserable. In fact, you were the one at that time. And then, of course, we went. Then we went into the mountains and, you know, had a good time there. I mean, I think it was probably a little bit more difficult because of the oxygen depletion, right. you know, up high in the mountains. But you guys were ready, yeah. you know, and you even you brought, you know, you were able to even get oxygen brought to the to, to the cabin if you needed it and that kind of deal. Um, I guess just. And then, and then, and then I guess was there any, is there anything about that during that trip that you want to talk about? Because remember there was one night, and you can talk about if we don't, if you need to or not need to. That she just would, she just woke up screaming and crying. I mean, yeah, she was she was crying, but I think it's mostly because she was in a place she didn't know, and yeah. it was scary to her. And we tried to put her in the bedroom with Alyssa, and that just was not gonna go right. down. So she ended up sleeping in the bed with us because she was not having it and 
I knew I did not feel good. CJ did not feel good. And so we were concerned for her because right. we're like, you know, she's we immune compromised. Right. We can't be letting her, you know, suffer. So we like kept a really close eye on her. But she was a trooper. Yeah. Like, no question. She did just fine. She never right. indicated there was anything wrong with her whatsoever. Well, and kids generally have a better, you know, high elevation. Generally, kids are a little bit more right. better than, than adults. Uh, especially getting my big butt up there. I was, but who did it? Uh, okay, so we come back. We have your reception, which was another wonderful time, you know, and she was there. And I, um, but I remember it was shortly after your guys' wedding that yep. everything kind of then started to, uh, I don't want to say go south, but I mean, I can't think of any other way. Basically, things started changing from the, she gets to go to school this year, possibly, you right. know, where everything's good as normal. We're doing, you know, all the testing to be okay. Kind of take me to now the first sign of, 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 of basically of, of us going towards, you know, her not getting better. Of the problem. Yeah. The first indication was I... <sighs> One day, a couple weeks, it was right before it was time for her to go in for her chemo because we planned our wedding to happen in between the, um, chemo sessions. Right. So it wouldn't affect her, you know, so she'd be healthy while we were gone and everything. And we even I even took her to the um, cancer center the day before we left on our trip so that they could check her out and make mm -hmm. sure she was good to go. And they cleared her for travel, like, because she didn't right. feel good. She had, um, I think she had, like, a cough, low-grade fever, maybe. It was, it was something minor. It was, like, a real See, minor thing. Well, I think that's one thing I think I, I remember. I'll, we'll, we'll kind of talk about for a second where I was going. But I, I do remember that. I think that's an important part to bring up, is that every single day you didn't know what was going to happen. Like, you could have these plans. Right. And you could, you could say, we're going to do this, that, and this. Right. But you, that was never a guarantee. And I, no. I remember that. You know that, that that Rachel and I had to be very very mindful of that. Like, if we make plans with you guys, that they very well could just go out the window at any moment's notice. Right. You, you never know. know. You never know. And that's why, even up until the day before we left, I was like, I don't know if we're gonna get to go. And then right. we went. We talked to them. They were like, No, she's fine. You right. can go. Right. You're talking about you, because you guys had already paid money for the the the, the rental, the cabin rental. Right. And, 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 right. And, all and we plans. were aware that we may right. have to cancel if something happened, but um, they said she was fine, so all was well. And so we get back. We it's a week later when we have our reception, and then I think her chemo was scheduled to start like the next week. So we're at home, and I tell her to clean her room. And she says, no, I can't clean my room. And I was like, why can't you clean your room? And she's crying, and she said, because it hurts when I bend over. And I'm like, what do you mean it hurts when you bend over? Like, I'm really confused. What does it mean? And I'm thinking she's just trying to get out of cleaning her room because right. she doesn't want to. But she's like, no, it hurts. My side hurts when I bend over. And I'm like... Okay. Um, and so it raises a red flag, you right. know, cause I'm like, she's not a complainer. So maybe right. there is something wrong. She's going in for her chemo. Right. So I told her dad, I said, when you're there, make sure you bring it up to the doctor that she was complaining about her side hurting. He says, okay. Was it the same side that her original tumor was on or was it the other side? Or do you remember? Same side. Okay. Um, 
So I was like, okay, something is up. I don't know what it is, but something may be up. It could just be nothing. Like, it could be nothing. It could be she... Because when she says her side hurts, it could be anything. It right. could be her back. Yeah. It could be an organ. It could right. be a bruise. It could right. be her skin. It could be anything. I don't know what it is. But she had said it, you know, and then she went on and she didn't complain again. And she went to her dad's. And she didn't complain to her dad. She never said anything. He took her to the hospital to start her chemo like normal, like a normal week. And he had forgotten to bring it up to the doctor. Well, yeah, probably not something that's real mindful. You're right, because it right. just a fleeting pain right. in the side. Who knows? So when I go in for my half of the chemo session, I bring it up to the doctor because she had also mentioned it after I had got there. She said something about her side hurting again, and I was like, oh, gosh, this might actually be something. So I bring it up to the doctor, and I'm like... She's complaining that her side is hurting, so I don't know what it is, but, you know, maybe it's something. So the doctor listens to her, you know. She's like, I think we're going to go ahead and take her for a CT to check it out because her lung sounds are kind of weird. She might have, like, pneumonia or something. You know, it could be something. Who knows? So they take her. They give her the CT. And the CT shows that she has fluid on her lung and a lot of fluid on her lung. And the oncologist was just as confused as we were. She's like, I don't really know what is causing this, but we're going to do some tests. So. And when you say fluid, I mean, lungs are supposed to have air in them and not fluid. So this is something that is. That is, that is, I, I wouldn't necessarily say emergency, but definitely like important. Like, you got to get it right. checked out. You can't just leave it because, yeah, that, that may absolutely makes sense. I can see why the doctor would be like, yeah, we got to get this tested out. Right, right. Yes. And so we don't know what it is, but the first thing we have to do is we have to drain this fluid off of her lung because no wonder the child complained. But I mean, that just goes to show Arya and her strength and her ability to just not show pain I mean she literally was just like my side hurts and that's it and the amount of fluid they took off of her lung was crazy I don't remember the exact amount but you know they have the little things that show you know the fluid goes into when they suck it out and it was like completely full in the first of the three and then partially full in the second of the three canister Mm -hmm. things I mean, it was just tons of Like, you're wondering where did all they even come from? Right. And I'm like, how was she not, like, in much more pain? And they even said, if this was an adult, they would have been seriously crying in pain. Like, this would have been critical to them. Right. Like, an adult would have been like, this hurts and get it, help me, you know? Where do you think that comes from with her? I mean... I don't know. Just a high pain tolerance. I mean... Do you, I mean, I guess we could just talk maybe as part of God's grace, maybe? maybe. I mean, God just maybe supernaturally, you know, allowed her to, you know, enjoy life to the best of its fullest. I mean, because, I mean, I, you're right. That would, I, I'm a baby when it comes to stuff like that. And I mean, yeah. as far as any kind of sickness or illness or whatever. And yeah, I mean, I don't even like it when I get a cold, you know, and right. have a raspy throat. <laughs> I mean, so I, I can only imagine, you know, having almost liters of, of fluid in the lungs. Right. So how do they get it out? Uh, they had to put a tube in. And down like her throat or no, like no. Like they cut open her side, right. stick a tube in her lung and Was she awake when they did that? 
not the putting in the tube but she was awake while it was going and that was the most uncomfortable like she was not a complainer but boy she hated that too sure it hurt her a lot and she and i knew it hurt because she complained where was where was the tube at like on her side like on her her side like by her where her ribs are wow yeah and just probably go straight into the lining of her lung, probably. Mm-hmm. And that's where that's where the fluid was, I right? Remember, right. It was right. In the lining. Yes. Of the lung, and that that's actually a big deal because I know, like, even like, there, there's a there's a condition where your heart has a a fluid sac because all your organs basically have a fluid sac, right. right? You know, to keep them contained and protected, and to and so mm-hmm. when those things fill up with fluid, you know, that can cause a lot of problems. Did they did they express to you? what the fluid was do they know and no, do they, they did they know. express to you what would have happened if you would not have released it no but i'm sure it would have <laughs> yeah. it would have started causing a lot more pain had we not discovered it and right. it wouldn't have been discovered had i not been like hey she said her side hurts right i mean otherwise no probably wouldn't have even been a thought wow. in her in her heads i mean i don't know okay so and this was during that time where she had to actually you guys were there for her chemotherapy. We were there for her chemo. And did this extend her stay at the hospital then, I presume? Yes, it did. Um, we finished the chemo because at this point we didn't know what was causing the fluid, but she had already gotten her chemo for the first four doses or whatever it was. So they're like, we might as well give her her last dose because she's already had the other ones. Her immune system's going down anyway. We might as well just go ahead and give her the last well, dose of chemo. Well, she's a hospital. safe place. I right. Mean, it's, it's, and so right. they did that, and then we have to figure out what's wrong. Why is there fluid in her lung? What is going on? And that process took forever. Ever. I mean, I think her one-week stay turned into, like, a two-week stay. I think we were there an additional week to figure out what was wrong with the lung. And so... Then you got to go back two weeks after that. (laughs) Well, things all changed at this point. It was not... It was not like that. No. The the plan was out the window. Now we are... It's gone. But now we're looking at new understanding. I understand. But... So we had... There was a whole bunch of steps to figuring out the what was going on with her lungs so they drained it and then they did another ct scan they couldn't see anything indicating inside of her lung anything being wrong so at this point they're like well we're gonna have to do um a pet scan because a ct basically is like an x-ray of your organs like it just gives you like a look at your organs but it doesn't show activity in your organs it's more like a mm, i don't know how to explain it like it's just like a picture not like a glowing picture that shows like active cells so pet scan would show that (laughs) this baby i'm telling you she was awake for all of her scans she was Mm. so so amazing because she she got used to it. I had to be in the room with her for the CTs, though. So I would go into the room, and I would put on, you know, the gown the uh, with the metal in it. Right. So the, the radiation. Yeah, yeah the radiation gowns, gown. Right. Yeah. Well, I was pregnant. Wow. So I couldn't go in with her for the scans anymore because I was pregnant, right. and they don't allow pregnant people in for the scan. So for the CT, the other doctors were able to go in with her and... Um, I sat out in the hall and that was no big deal because the CT she was very used to it was very regular you know we would get them all the time she knew we called it the big washing machine 
she would go in and so she didn't need me she'd gotten to the point where she didn't need me right so she needed somebody but she didn't need me so that was okay well the pet scan is a whole nother ball game because they have to inject her with like radioactive material right so i can't be around her at all wow at all i have to be like so many feet from her i can't even during everything during this whole process so they had to they couldn't do the pet scan at the hospital we had to do the pet scan at the cancer center because that's where the pet scan is so we had to get loaded into an ambulance taken literally like a block from the hospital no not far at all they loaded us into the ambulance me and her she sat on my lap um they took us to the cancer center and when they got to the cancer center they put her in this little room by herself and i had to sit out in the hall and they Did, was there windows at least they left the door open so that i could see okay. in there there's no windows but you can they left the door open so i could talk to her but i couldn't be around her i had to be far from like her. how many feet did you have to be away from her um they give you like you think I could like a 10 10 feet you mean like the height of a basketball goal like that's yeah you had to be with you couldn't be within 10 feet of your child yes who was going who was having a pet pet scan for cancer yes. in her body yes no way. So I mean, she's I, wow. she's in the room. She's on the little bed, and I'm sitting out in the hall, and I can talk to her. And I'm sitting out there with um, Francine and with Garrett, who went with us, mm-hmm. which was the perfect pair because yeah. I mean, they really helped ease my. They could mind. go in there, right? They could go near her because they, they were, were pregnant. pregnant, right? Um, so I, they injected her with the radioactive stuff, and then they had to let it sit for a little Did bit. Did she understand that? I mean, does she understand why mommy couldn't come near me? I mean, I, I in my mind, I'm imagining my own daughter and that, and, and and you know, I know like when my my when my daughter is like, even just shy or she's meeting somebody else, she, you know, attaches herself mm-hmm. to her to, to to Rachel or I, and, and and this is something that's way bigger than that. Right. Just meeting a new stranger, you're talking about in a new place, getting this scan that she's already uncomfortable with. And then her mommy can't be within ten feet of her. Right. I mean that even though there's Francine and Garrett that are there to help ease the pain. Right. How, how does she? I mean, to me, that just seems like that'd be really difficult. I mean, how did you? How how does she? How did how did you understand? She handled it like such wow. a big girl. She was so just mature and brave and. You know, she have to explain it to her. We kind of explained it to her in the best kid sense we could, and that they have to put something in her body that mommy can't be around because it could hurt the baby. And she loved babies. And yeah, she wasn't about to hurt the baby. Right. So, and you know, she was used to she was used to doctors. She was used to treatments. She was used to all that stuff now. So I mean, she fortunately it wasn't towards the beginning of all of her treatments because then it would have been a whole different ball right. game but it was you know she had, she, she's this old hat at this now yeah so she played on her tablet and sat in the little room and then they had to take her for the pet scan and a pet scan takes forever to do like it, when it's your baby in there it feels like a thousand years. What is it like? What is it? I mean, everyone pictures a cat, cat scan. That's that's what you see. Look, you're right. Like a large, large washing machine. You lay on a, a bed and they zoom you into this, right. this hole and they, you know, takes images of your body. How does that differ from a PET scan? It looks 
almost the same actually like just visually it's a whole like a big hole machine with a bed that slides through it like right. just like the ct machine right. the difference is is it makes a lot more noises and it takes a lot longer when you say longer you're talking like minutes like hours? 30 minutes a minute 30 minutes 30 minutes wow yeah it was a long time you so. to stay still she has to stay still can she talk can she can she... talk okay well, well, we'll have a, there's, there's moments where she can't talk, but there's also moments that she can talk. Yeah, they, I'm sure they talk to her through like a speaker or something like that. Right? right. Well, I had I got to go into the room with the window to watch and to be there, so she could see me through the window, kind of from certain positions of the right. of the PET scan, but not all positions of the PET no. scan. So Francine actually got to go in with her. And was in the room with her for part of it. Because there's part of it that nobody can be in the room except for the person on the bed. And then there's part of it that somebody could. How did could. you deal with that? I mean, you were talking about how Aria was super strong. And, and I mean, and, and was mature about it. But, I mean, for crying out loud, uh, putting my own self in, the, in those well, shoes, I, I would be a ball and mess. The... Doctors and people that were there were very good at distracting me. Okay. Very good. Like they talked to me. You know, right. we had conversations. And you were to, you to sit there alone in your thoughts. Right. And fears. Right. They were like talking to me. I don't even remember what we talked about, but I remember it was enough to distract me. And so I right. was, I was like, you know, I'd watch and they would say something, and so I right. would talk to them, and they made it very light and very like, this is an okay thing, you know. Right. We're doing this to help her, right? Right. And so. And she was such a trooper. She only even like whimpered one time. And that was because Francine wasn't listening to her when she was telling her which <laughs> videos she wanted to watch or something like that. Because Francine actually held the phone up in front of her while she right. was on the thing so she could watch something wow. while she was getting it done. Because right. that's a long time exactly. for a six-year-old at the time right. to lay there right. and just do nothing right. and so she did awesome and then so they got done but that's not the end of the experience because she's still radioactive wow. so on the way back to the hospital she got to be in the back i had to sit in the front of the ambulance right. they take us to the room um i couldn't be beside her while we were walking i had to walk you know I could talk to her, you know, from afar, but I couldn't like sit with her or hold her hand or anything. Um, and then we went back to the room and I could be in the room with her, but I couldn't touch her or be close to her for several hours. I think it was like eight or nine o'clock at night before I could touch her again or be around her because so what would be the how many hours are we talking from the time that they inject her with this radioactive material through the testing until you were in the safe zone of when you're able to touch mm, your baby again it was in the afternoon i would say maybe six hours i want everyone to think about that i want everyone to think about that if you're driving your car you're home you're listening to this just normal, just in a non-hospital at your own house, in the safe place of your own home. I want you to imagine not being able to be within 10 feet of your child right. for six hours. You had to do that in a hospital where your child was undergoing all of these tests for a disease that was killing her. 
And no amount of distraction really could ever take even just the no. mother's draw away. Right. But yet, the hope was what was motivating you. Right. We got to forget this is important to do as much as I want to just break through, you know, say F all the rules. Right. I just want to hold my kid. You're like, we're, we're doing right. this. Well, yeah. I, I had to protect the kid inside of me too. So, right. I mean, there was no choice. No. I mean, I couldn't risk it. I wanted to risk it, but I couldn't yeah. risk it because I couldn't have something no. happen. And yeah, so I sat on the bench by the window as far from her as I could pretty much sit and she sat in the bed and we talked to each other and she watched videos and played on her phone and you know we did things from afar but I remember when the time was up and I could finally go be with her again I went and I sat next to her and she said she said mommy I missed your hugs and snuggles I said, I missed your hugs and snuggles, too. And I just snuggled her as much as I could possibly snuggle her. Because, I mean, she still has a tube in her at this point, like a drain tube out her side. I mean, she was she was hurting. And I was like, my baby is hurting and I can't even be there. And, and like just that pull, like I need to hug her. Like, I need this to is hold like, her. This is, I mean, I think that's one thing about this whole circumstance is that you – I mean, the, the idea of a child in and of itself having cancer is completely unnatural and, and wrong, and it shouldn't be. But a mother not even being able to hold her sick child is right. definitely something that should just not be. And it's right. just so anti what is normal right. to, to, a, to a human experience. You know, mothers, are, one of their primary objectives is to, is, is to comfort and, and caress and kiss and hold right. their children and protect them. And you were robbed of that even even doing that, even just for a short window. I don't right. care how long it was. The fact is that you couldn't even do it. Right. Even though she was literally feet away from you. And so I bet those, I bet you're right. I bet those hugs and kisses and and, 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 and cuddles were probably just absolutely the sweetest thing ever. It's like, yeah. you know, I just, yeah, just hearing her say those things. And then I couldn't sleep with her that night because they're like, just to be on the safe side, right. you should probably not sleep by <sighs> her. You can go, you know, be with her, but don't like prolong lay by right. her for a while this is right so that night i had to sleep on the little window bench thing which is just awful and yeah, it, was, it was cold it was cold and i was right. pregnant and huge and uncomfortable and she's like in pain and i just want to be with her right. and we have to sleep apart again back to no sleeping yeah it was terrible terrible night but anyway how many hours of sleep did you think you averaged during this whole ordeal on the regular i mean a night yeah i mean well when we were home it was much better, was much better but in the like hospital it was five maybe yeah. because between doctors and nurses coming, coming in, in and we got to bed late every night and then the rounds were early in the morning and yeah it was <sighs> okay so how, so that was that was pet scan number one that was her pet scan okay so when do you get the results of this difficult test you got to go through um, I mean, i'd be like hey we went through this much junk i want them now <laughs> i don't remember if it was that night or if it was the next day i can't i can't remember when it wasn't it wasn't an incredibly long amount of time right but i do remember when they showed us the results um 
the top part of her lung. And at this point, all you know is that her side was hurting, and we got to figure out why. Right, and there's fluid. And there's fluid on the lungs. Right. right, we don't know why. But we don't know why. The CT doesn't show there's anything, but something is going on. So the pet fa- pet scan revealed that there was active activity happening in her lung, along the top of her lung and a small amount on the bottom of her lung, like just little tiny bit. Like it was barely a blip, but it was enough that you could see that there was something happening in the lung. So at this point, they're like, this could still be anything. This does not necessarily mean it's cancer. This could be anything. It could be a virus, you know, because that is live cells, you know, doing stuff in your body. It could be a virus. It could be, you know, something like that. It could be anything. And we're like hoping and praying it's a virus. Like, please just, just antibiotics of medicine. Something. Or I don't or care if we have to stay in the through. hospital for right. a month if it's not cancer. Just please not be cancer. And the oncologist, she was very hopeful because she's like, it just doesn't make sense for it to be cancer because she's on chemo. She's been doing her chemo. The chemo has been working. And for it to just come back like this is kind of a weird thing to happen. So she's like, I don't, I don't, she didn't say it's not cancer, but she didn't, she was very much more like leaning towards the it's not cancer side. So, She's like, we're going to have to do a biopsy. The biopsy is really the only way we're going to know what it is. So they have, they actually to, have to go in and take scrape a piece a part out of it. Right. Yep. So we have to knock her out again so she can get the biopsy done. I mean, that poor baby, I got to see her be put under and wake up so many times. Like, and every time it was just like a little piece of my heart ripped out because she was so tough, but she was so funny when she was coming out of it. Like those are those are some of the fun memories. I mean, as hard as it was to, for her to have to go through it, when right. she would wake up, it was such a joy because she was loopy and it made me cry every time because I hated. Were seeing you able her to like be that. with her next to her when they were she was going to sleep? Yes. Okay, that's good. Yes. It was like they just wheeled her away and no. you just no. hoped for the best that everything went okay. Not like at KU where when she went in for her surgeries, they didn't let us let, right. didn't let me stay there with her. Right. They would give her some medicine that would make her feel silly. And then they would take her and then they would put her to sleep. No, at Stormont, they were just wonderfully accommodating to her and to me. And she would sit on my lap. She would sit on my lap and they would do their timeouts, you know, like they have to do before like a surgery or whatever. I was in the room for all of that. And then they would inject her with the, with the, um, sleepy medicine (laughs) and she would fall asleep in my arms. And after she was asleep in my arms, they would take her and put her on the bed and do what they had to do. And then you I had, would, you had to leave. I would leave the room. Right. Yes, I wasn't ever in the room for that. That would make sense. I don't think you'd want to be there. Procedure. Anyway. No, I I didn't. But I was beside myself because all the times that she had to be put to sleep, it was always just you know like she had to be put to sleep for radiation, and it was just like okay, this is radiation. We're doing it. Then we're done. Towards the end, when she had to be put down put down that sounds really terrible when she had to be put to sleep right so many times like it got scary like what is what is happening did they do that because of surgery or biopsies or why did she have to be you know put to sleep so many times for putting in the tube to drain her lung then for the biopsy then she had to be put to sleep again when 
they had to drain her lung the second time because it wasn't a one and done deal. We're still talking about a five-year-old, right? Six. As a six-year-old. Six. As a six-year-old. Yeah. At this time, we're not talking about a two hundred pound, six foot man. We're talking no. about a, you know, barely forty pound, forty pound, six year old. Yeah, <laughs> little tiny bald yeah. girl. Right. But they they would put her to sleep, and then they would do whatever they were doing, and then they would wake her up, and she would always be so silly when she woke up. It's like one of my favorite memories. She would, she would touch my face (laughs) with her little like sleepy hand, just touch my nose. And she'd say your nose and like just rub her finger over my nose. And she'd say funny things. One of my favorite things that she said was, um, I said something to her. I don't remember what I said to her, but, she said, I saw Dr. Othman. And I said, oh, you did? And she said, yeah. And she takes her hand and she makes it move like like a mouth. And she said, and her mouth was just moving. <laughs> it was just moving. <laughs> I was so like, oh, my gosh. I had to tell Dr. Othman about it because it was the funniest thing. And she got a hoot out of it. I mean... I I truly think that Dr. Rothman really did love Aria. Yep. I really, really, truly think so. Yeah, much more than just just a patient. Right. You know? Just you know, just she really her invests herself in in her patients, and and I really truly felt that with Aria that she just was was all in. Well, but... I don't think you go into that line of work being a pediatric cancer doctor. Right. Without number one knowing exactly what you're getting into yeah and number two having a heart for children that goes beyond just the average children are you know i love children i think you have to have a fortitude about you that where you have just dedicated your life to helping children survive unfair um conditions right you know um, and, 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 and children, especially because of the innocence, because of their just natural drive and desire to want to make people happy. Children are probably some of the best, but yet hardest patients. Right. Hard, not as in they'll make give you a hard time. Like some grumpy old man or woman would. No, they do that too. But they probably do. <laughs> but I think that it's harder because it's easy to get attached mm-hmm. to a child. And especially, yeah. you know, one who is trusting you and taking care, wants to, like, make you happy even though they may be sick or hurting themselves. They still want to see you smile. Right. Well, and Aria kind of had that personality that kind of just grabs you in anyway. Right. Like, yeah. one of Dr. No Othman's favorite stories about Aria, which I heard her tell over and over and over again, and hopefully she still tells, I, I hope she does, is that early on in her and Aria's relationship, I mean, like, really early on, um, <laughs> Aria <laughs> wouldn't give her a hug. She said, Aria, will you give me a hug? And Aria was like, no. And she <laughs> says, you're going to make me cry. And she puts her hands up and starts fake crying. And Aria goes, I don't care if you cry. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care if you cry. Like, and I think in that moment, Dr. Othman knew she was like this girl. She's, she's a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. But yeah, cancer has no chance. We're going to, it's it's like the best. It's not going to rob it from this girl is going to, she's going to do some things. Yep. That's good. She don't let nothing get her down. (laughs) 
right, so you got so 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 there's activity in the PET scan yes. results, um, and does that tell the doctors anything other than just no? It just tells them there's something going on, and we got to do we got to figure out what it is. We know that it's not just nothing. There is, in fact, something happening. How many times did she have to get fluid removed from her lungs? Mm. And was it the same amount of fluid every time? No, it was a little less, but we were catching it earlier because we knew something was wrong. And she had to put under, get um, under sleep to put the tube in every time. Yes. And then how long would it take the fluids to be... I guess you'd answer my first question. That's okay. But I guess the more important thing is... Is that she had to be put to sleep every single time to yes. put the tube in, right. and then sit there and just wait for these things to fill up. Yeah, which I remember actually seeing, and it was a weird consistency and color. Yeah, like, like a actually... reddish. Yeah, weird. Yeah, it's very strange. But um, I can't remember. It was either two or three times that they had to remove fluid off of her lung. I think. I think. They had to go in and suck it out with like a like a syringe at one point. I think that was one of the times. That sounds painful. Yeah, where they like put her to sleep and they like basically like tap it and suck it out actively. Um, I think it was three times because I think it was only I think it was only a tube once. I think the other two times was just them sucking it out in the operating room like just taking right. it out um because it was less it was still a decent amount but it was less um but anyway so they did the biopsy and then we had to wait we had to wait for the results and that was not quick i mean it probably was decently quick but it didn't feel quick no not for something that you're needing and wanting having to know now it like, definitely wasn't the same day no but i can't remember how many days it was i just know were you letting in were you letting any of your family know i mean at this time because you don't want because here's the thing it's like you say you say yes aria was hurting on her side they found fluid in her lungs we don't know why uh they're doing a biopsy yeah, we post. I posted it on the team oh, Aria on the, page. On the Facebook page. Yeah, right. and in the immediate family knew a little bit more details because you know, sure, they were there and stuff. Um, How do you deal with though with so many people? You want people to know her story. Obviously, that's the reason why we're doing this. But like, especially when you're in the thick of it and you're going through this battle. People are still going to be people, even they're going to be well-meaning. Right. But at the same time, you had to have dealt with people being like, like, slow your roll. There's none of your business. Like, or like, I'm, we're working on it. Or, hey, have you tried this treatment? Rather than doing that. I mean, Most people were very respectful. The only time that it really got annoying was when we hadn't got any results yet. And people were like, how is Aria? What's going on? How is Aria? Like, tell me now. Tell me now. Tell me now. And we're like, we don't even know yet. You're just going to have to be patient. Like. Stop asking. We will let you know when we know. Get, that was the right. most annoying part. I get well-meaning, but at the same time, it's like, 
Right. Like, come on. Like, yeah. I will tell you, A, when I'm good and ready to tell right. you. And B, you know, when I when I actually get something. Right. And I feel released to do something. I'm like, just, just pray for her, please. Just pray whatever this is is nothing and that we can get over this and just move on and all will be well. Because at this point, we still didn't think that it was anything serious. No. At this point, you're still taking it could be, again, a virus or right. infection mm-hmm. or. So, yeah. Um, anything. Something even. Uh, not even related to the cancer. Exactly. So we were hopeful. I mean, there was really no indication besides the fluid that there was really anything even wrong. So, like, what could be wrong? Right. But. So how long? So so the biopsy results. Now, do they do they call you in for a meeting? Do no, they send we you a were letter? St- we were still in the hospital. We were not oh, going home until, until we knew what was going I on. So we were still in the hospital. And, I mean, you want to take a turn towards the dark side. Um, that was a bad day. Okay, guys, so I am sorry. I I know uh, we kind of cut it off there abruptly, but I just kind of I chose to end it there because now, as you can kind of tell, the story does start to get a little bit more intense, a little bit more emotional and so i figured this would be just kind of a good place for us to stop take a breath you know just let what we've already heard kind of sink in and just the reality of now that jessica and chris and cj and ari and really the whole family uh are going to be facing now here in the next couple weeks the most hardest weeks of their entire life and so uh we did finish out the recording like i said earlier and so you'll be able to hear that next week so uh, until then god bless you guys aloha and mahalo